It's August 20th. It's Sunday morning, August 20th, 2006. Our message this morning is disposable jawbone. A disposable jawbone. We're going to start in Proverbs 11.25, and I want to talk to you about what this is. Tell me when you're there and we'll read it. Okay. Well, a few of you are there. Is everybody there? Come on, y'all. Are y'all there? Yes. Okay. In Proverbs 11, starting in the 25th verse, there is a verse that has been distorted on TV more than any other. People that want your money and their goal is to fleece the sheep rather than care for them have twisted this. But I want to tell you what it really means. In Proverbs 25, or 11.25, it says, A generous man will prosper. A generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. People have twisted this verse to mean that if you give money, you'll get money back. Guys, we don't even pass a plate in here. You know, if you have to coerce somebody to give you money, something's wrong with your ministry. What do you think this means? It's the second part that interprets the first. You're to be generous with all that God's given you, pouring out into the lives of others, and then God will pour out into your life. That's what that song was about. It's about emptying you, doing whatever you can to lift somebody else up, whether it's Judah or Devlin or whoever it is. Do something for the benefit of others and you watch. God will start to benefit you. Nothing could be truer about this than in the spiritual arena. You really want to get a good word from God? You want to be blessed? Start praying for a good word for somebody else, something encouraging for somebody else, and it will bless your socks off. The Bible has this principle about pouring out for others and then God will pour it out for you. I want to start in Exodus, if you don't mind. Uh, Exodus 16. I've met a pastor this morning and I enjoyed talking with him. He's a the denominational persuasion. And more and more I'm trying to come around to the idea that God uses everybody. Despite us, He uses everybody. And uh, this guy's of the denominational persuasion that I came out of. So I have uh, kind of some unique insight into it. And I was excited because he had kind of a gleam in his eye. He seemed genuinely happy to hear we were planning churches and... He uh, called me a renegade reverend is what he called me, which fits me just fine. That's been called a lot worse in my life, and he meant it as a compliment. But he told me that in his church they had recently passed around a survey, and the survey asked the congregation to rate their church, right? And they had some 36 or 56 or something areas to rate the church. He said, we were so happy to score more than a 65% in every area, which was the goal. Guys, do you think maybe we've set the bar too low? 65%? I'm believing God that He can touch each and every life in here 100% of the time. You know, I remember sitting in church services, hearing somebody preach, my heart being pricked, and I sat there thinking, yeah, but I'm unclean. I'm unworthy. I'm not, if they knew what I was. I even sat in church services next to a little girl one time. It's now my wife. Scared to death that what was being preached might affect our relationship, if you know what I mean. You know, I remember what it was like to want God, but feel like I just couldn't. And I began to tell God all of the reasons that this just wouldn't work. Why He couldn't use me. Why I'd already soiled my garment so much He wouldn't want me. What's funny is while that was going on on the inside of my heart, what I was telling everybody on the outside was, I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm a Christian. I can quote all the right verses. And every night I was scared to go to sleep because the preachers were telling me Jesus might come back at any moment and I knew I wasn't ready. Since we're not supposed to live in that bind. We're not supposed to be caught in that valley of Jehoshaphat trying to make a decision, always being attacked from enemies from both sides. Not accepted by the devil's kingdom because you're not sold out for him, but also not accepted by God's kingdom because you're not sold out for him. Let's get out of that valley. This morning, let's make up our mind to get all that God has for us. He's worth it. I promise He is. In Exodus 16, starting in verse 4, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. Come on, we read that and it's like, okay. I'll rain down bread from heaven. Can you imagine hearing that for the first time? How about if I walked in here this morning and said, you know, Mandy, God is going to rain down bunny bread from heaven for you. I mean, could you have a little disbelief there? You think maybe 
Oh, I know what the seminary students would do. They'd begin arguing about in which way this was allegorical. God told this man something. Why do you think He said, I will rain down bread for you? Because they needed bread. God is in the business of not giving you what you deserve. He's in the business of giving you what you need. If Nicholas Slaughter got what he deserved, where would he have been? But God's given him what he needed. A beautiful wife, a godly walk, powerful gifting in the Spirit. God gives us what we need, not what we deserve. If we got what we deserve, you wouldn't be sitting here today. Get out of your mind that God is some big angry guy with a stick that wants to beat you. It is not true. He's also not a motivational speaker who just wants you to feel good about yourself, though. He's a holy God. He wants holiness, but He will give you the power to do whatever you need to do. He said, I will rain down bread from heaven, and there is only one reason, because they needed bread. Look at the next verse. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether or not they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. God set up a system where He said, Keith, I know what you need more than anybody else before you ask me. I know what you need. You ever sat there and prayed to God like He was a cosmic genie? Lord, I want this and this. It might as well be a list of Santa Claus. The difference between the genie and God is the genie in the stories, your wish is His command. With God, it's the other way around. His command needs to become your wish. You need to learn to ask Him for what He says is good for you, to desire from Him what He says is good for you. And what He told Moses is, look, I'm going to rain down enough bread each day for you. Why each day? Come on now, have you never had a time in your life where you had some money set aside? Isn't it a good feeling? I mean, if I need something, I'll have the money right there, right? Every time I get just a little bit fat in a checking account, and trust me, friends, when I say it's just a little bit fat in the checking account, a need arises. You know why that is? I used to think that it was because you began to be more cognizant of the needs if you had some money. That is not it. Because God provides you with what you need. If your goal becomes to hoard things, to show everybody what you have, it does something that's destructive. God said, I'm going to give you what you need each day. And in this way, I'm going to test you. Test you how? What on earth is that? How many of you have said, I have faith? Come on now, y'all can talk to me, I'll cry if you don't. I mean, she and I will leave. She's, she's with me right now. We're on one page, right? Why do you think when we say we have faith, what does that mean? I mean, what did it mean to George Michael? He sang about it, right? What did it mean when he said he had faith? I don't know. In the Bible, when it says I have faith, it means I have trust. If He gives you only what you need for that day, you have to trust Him for more the next day. What do you think it says about your heart when you do one of two things, either gather more than you need that day and hope you can carry it over, or or you don't go out and get any. You, you're trying to save some that you already have from that day. One or the other. Saints, I want to tell you, something happens in the Christian experience. It broke my heart actually when somebody said it to me first and then it turned out to be great. I was one of those radically saved people. In 1993, I believe Jesus spoke to me audibly. That makes you think that I'm crazy? That's okay. Just wait till you hear the rest. I believe He spoke to me audibly. It wasn't in King James English. Charlton Heston did not move the clouds aside and step out with a big fro. White man's fro. And speak to me. That's not how it happened. I was troubled in my spirit because of what I was seeing in the Word and what I knew was in my life. Verses like, not everyone who says that the Lord is Lord will enter my kingdom, but only He who does the will of my Father were plaguing my spirit. Because I could say Jesus was Lord as good as anybody, but I knew I wasn't doing His will. Verses in 1 John that would say things like, He who has, says He has fellowship with the Father and walks in darkness lies and doesn't practice the truth. I knew it was calling me a liar. So I'm shaking my fist in the air. What do you do when you don't like the message somebody preaches, right? You defame the message, right? If I don't like what Lindsay has to say to me, if I don't want to take it into my heart, if I want to protect myself, the way that I insulate myself against what she has to say is to find fault with her. Well, I was no different. 
the man that was preaching these things, I went home and I shook my fist in the air and said, God, what are you going to do about that heretic? I don't know if I knew what a heretic was, but I knew I couldn't cuss when I was talking to God. Cussed all the rest of the time, but I knew I couldn't cuss that time. And he spoke to me. It was very, very simple. He said, you are fighting for the wrong side. Now, I hope those of you that have studied this Word all of your life, you know, that are pocket theologians out here, I hope that that doesn't offend your sensibilities, that God spoke to me, and that it wasn't something eloquent. It wasn't some long vision where I was told to shave my head with a sword or something like that. He spoke to me in a way that Eric could understand it. I knew something. He was telling me, you are wrong in what you're doing. He said, you are fighting with the wrong, for the wrong side. My salvation prayer as I fell to my knees was, Lord, change me. And He did. It's never stopped. My salvation experience was not any different than anybody else that's really been saved. Lord, this is going the wrong way and I need You to change it because I can't. God speaks to Moses. He says, Moses, I'm going to rain down bread from heaven, buddy. I'm going to rain it down. You can get as much as you need each day, but just for that day, okay? And I'm going to test you in this way. Skip on down to verse 13. That evening quail came and covered the camp. In the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. Guys, dew in the Bible is given from heaven. It's, if you've ever lived in an arid region, to walk outside and see water all over the ground is a nice thing. When you've been parched all day, when you can't get rain for your crops, and you walk outside and there's dew on the ground. It's a special gift from God. When I was in Israel in 1997, there was a man who had fought in the War of Liberation, the Six Days War, the Yom Kippur War, and was then my tour guide. And we were in the Golan Heights that are just being bombed right now. And it began to melt the snow on Mount Hermon. And he saw water running down. And this old man got tears in his eyes right away. And I'm talking about a soldier, a man who killed people for a living. Okay, not, not some uh, bleeding-heart evangelist that's crying to get money out of your pocket and in his plate. This man was on a tour bus and he was crying. And he said, look how God is providing water for His people. That is the, the feeling that God wants you to get when you walk outside and see dew on the ground. Watch this. That evening quail came and covered the camp and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. You got me? Frosted flakes? Y'all thought that was a new thing, right? Frosted flakes? When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, What is it? Anybody know what Hebrew for what is it is? Huh? Manna. <laughs> they named it. What is that? <laughs> what that is? Moses said to them, It is bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Now, guys, get this. Isn't this just like... How many times have you cried out, Lord, I need a spouse! Mighty God, I, I need whatever it is you need. And then it shows up right before your eyes and you don't recognize it right away. They are crying out for food because they're hungry. They need something. And God knew before they cried out that they needed it. And so He made preparation. But it always comes in a way that will test your trust in Him. He's never going to give you something that does not test your trust in Him because this is how He finds out whether you're committed to Him or the blessing that He provides. you remember people follow Jesus? And sometimes He said, hey, they're following Me because of the loaves. They got their fill. Boy, isn't that true? Come on, y'all. I know nobody in here has ever watched MTV Cribs, right? No, y'all don't need... You never heard that there was such a show. There is always that follows these guys an entourage. They're riding the gravy train. All right, those of you that don't know MTV Cribs, let's, let's go somewhere else. Let's go to Graceland, okay? That's a whole different generation, right? How many people do you think followed Elvis around because they loved Elvis? Because they sincerely cared about his welfare? Probably a handful. Weren't there a whole lot more that all they really wanted from Elvis was the paycheck at the end of the day? Right? The fame of being with him? God's no different. He's a great and mighty King and there are those that follow Him for nothing than what they believe they can get from Him. What He's looking for are those that really trust Him for who He is. And so everything that He gives comes with the price that requires you to trust Him. That's how He finds out are you serving Him simply for what you can get from Him or because you love who He is. Isn't that awesome? Now the wonderful thing is that when you serve Him, He gives you everything that you need. It just always comes in this kind of package. 
That evening quail came and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew on the dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, What is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, It is bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Each one is to gather as much as he needs. Come on, saints, say that. As much as I need. As much as I need. God will give you as much as you need. If you've been sitting in a church and you think, Golly, this pulls a vacuum. This is no good. It doesn't feed my soul. The guy standing behind the pulpit. Boy, isn't that who we always find fault with? I remember that, by the way, when I hear you tell stories about church so-and-so and the guy standing behind the pulpit and how bad he was because I don't want to be next in that line. If you haven't gotten what you needed, it is not God's fault. It is not God's fault. God wants to fill you to the fullness of the measure of Christ. How much did Christ have? Colossians says, all the fullness of the deity dwelled in Him. God wants to give you all that you need. Paul says it this way. He says, so that having all that you need at all times, you will be prepared for every good work. He used every descriptive term that he could to get you to understand. It's limitless, friends. As much as you possibly need. As long as you follow the rules. And what are the rules? Trust Him. Trust Him. Now guys, that's easy to preach about. Come on, I'm standing up here doing it. That shows you any old idiot can do this. What's hard is to live it. When God says, look, Mandy, you need, I'm going to give. And then He requires her to take that Isaac, that son that she just got, up to a mountain and give it away. That's how He does, though. He does that because it shows whether or not you're in love with the gift or the giver. That's what it shows. But at the same time, you find out that the giver has limitless gifts to give you. It's awesome, saints. It is awesome. I'm sorry if you've been a part of a dry, dead religion. That's not God. I don't care whether it said Spirit-filled on the sign. If God's presence doesn't show up in the meetings and move you, then it's not God. Now, if God's presence is touching 99 people in a building and not the hundredth, examine yourself. Examine yourself. What are you doing to insulate you from the presence of God? What is in your life that you love so much that it has become an idol and you love it more than Him? Isn't it a sad thing to think one day we stand before God and we go, yeah, <clears throat> I know. I stiffed on you for those couple decades. Yeah, I loved her more than I loved you. I loved it more than I loved you. I loved my job more than I loved you. I don't believe the kingdom will be comprised of such as those. You know why I don't believe it? Because Jesus said only a few will make it. They said, Jesus, is it true only a few will be saved? He said, yes, it is as you say. Now, you do the math. You figure it out. Look at the nation as a whole. We're Christians. We're Americans. <laughs> we're Republicans. That puts us in the kingdom, right? We're Democrats. That puts us in the kingdom, right? Only He who does the will of my Father. But He will give you as much as you need. How do you think the Israelites did with this? Moses said to them, It is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what Yahweh has commanded. Each one is to gather as much as he needs. Take an omer for each person. You have it in your tent. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some little. Isn't that interesting? Some much and some little. Why is it in church some will suck up everything that they can? I want more of God. More, more, more. Empty me, Lord, that You might pour more in. Empty me that You might pour more in. And somebody else is content to stick out the pinky with the tiny little specimen collector on the end. Say, so I'll take that much, Lord. What are you scared of change for? What is it that you think God will do to you that is not good? You think He might make you give up something? He would only ask you to give up something if it has the potential to hurt you or destroy your life. My son right there was once a baby. That's hard to believe. He's a strapping, good-looking young man now. We're hoping he turns out much better than his father. He was holding something, and it was shiny. Oh my God, it was beautiful to him. He was infatuated with it, right? Come on, you don't know what I'm talking about, do you? You never had anything like that in your life. Oh, Jesus, thank you so... Oh, well, maybe you don't like it, you know? I remember praying before certain sin. Oh, God, I just want to get through this. Then we'll talk, okay? 
You know? In my heart, knowing it was wrong. My son's playing with this shiny, beautiful object. He's infatuated with it. And he was mad at his dad when he took it away. Mad. It was a pocket knife. It looked great to him. But at 15, or 15 months, he wasn't old enough to handle it. He could have decapitated himself. Went and joined the nation of Islam that day. Why did I take it away from him? Because I was mean and didn't want him to have any fun? There's nothing I wouldn't give him. That's my firstborn son. There's nothing I wouldn't do for him. I didn't want him to hurt himself. Anything that the Word speaks to you and says don't, it's not because God's a killjoy. I promise. You study Him. You find out He's an awesome guy. He came to give you a vibrant life. If the church hasn't looked vibrant, if it hasn't looked exhilarating, that's not God's fault. Have you never had somebody go out and describe you in a way that wasn't true? Come on now. Nobody out here has ever been gossiped about? Wow, I want to hang out with y'all. Y'all must know different people than I do because I hang out with church folk and I can tell you they gossip. The sad thing is when they're preaching is gossip about God and it is not true. When they tell you that God cares about things that His Word says He doesn't care about, the kingdom's not a matter of food and... Uh Uh-oh. Well, we just won't go there today. Grape juice, right? When they tell you that God cares whether or not you're doing good on Sunday, don't you go play basketball with your friend? That'll send you into the pits of hell. Really? Where's that in the Word? Well, the Lord says keep the Sabbath. And that was Sunday? I don't think so. If they've gossiped about God to you and it wasn't true, I'm sorry. They gossip about each other and it's not true either. They tell each other how great they are. How they'll see each other on that day. I'm okay and you're okay, right? When Jesus says, I'd like to vomit you both out of my mouth. Who did Jesus hang out with? Tell me. Come on, y'all speak to me. Nick, who did Jesus hang out with? Sinners. What does that mean about you? Oh. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not scared to say it. Guys, Jesus hung out with trash. And I'm the king of that. But He's renovating me. I'm in His recycling program. In the end, though I was trash, I will be like Him. He'll give me as much as I need. As much as I need. He's not going to come up short. If you thought that you just weren't good enough to follow Jesus, you don't understand Him. He went after the whores and tax collectors. It was the people that thought they were good that He stayed away from. Come on, y'all, that's good news. Well, maybe some of you, you're so good already, you just don't need His help, right? There's a church down the road for you. You can find it because it says first on the title. doesn't matter what comes after that. I probably shouldn't have said that, huh, Matthew? Yeah, that's what the edit button's for. Sorry, friends in Baton Rouge. God can use anything. He can use anything. I know somebody that got saved out of Armstrongism. The Worldwide Church of God. Great big fat cult. But they got saved there. Because God doesn't care about the doctrinal chains. What He cares about is the heart. He's looking for people that He can set free. I may do everything in here backwards. Maybe it's wrong for a preacher to wear flip-flops or be fat or whatever else it is. But God is looking for the heart that seeks after Him and says, give me my daily bread, Lord. I need You today. I'll trust You with it. Verse 18, And when they measured it by the omer, he who gathered much did not have too much. And he who gathered little did not have too little. Each one gathered as much as he needed. Then Moses said to them, No one is to keep any of it until morning. However, some paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until morning, but it was full of maggots and began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. Why did it turn to maggots? Come on, you know the church answer. Because God says so, right? But why would it turn to maggots? Why is something good that God gives you turn to maggots? When I was born again in 1993, it was powerful. It shook everybody around me. They couldn't believe it. The week before, I had put a kid in a garbage can upside down, stuck him in it. His feet looked like a Christmas tree. And now I'm born again telling everybody I love them. They couldn't believe it. My own parents couldn't believe it. They were happy, but... You know, this just happened to be the time David Koresh was doing his deal, right? I can't help it. I didn't have anything to do with him. So people are looking at me crazy because for me it was real. It was radical. It was not false. It was not fake. But a couple years into it, a young man named Stephen looked me in the eye and he said, it's finally happened. 
what do you mean it's finally happened? You know? I could tell it was negative. Whatever it was that was happening, I'm like, "Uh uh-oh, what is it? The kid loved the Lord. He was sincere. One of those... Jesus could have looked at him and said, here's an Israelite in whom there's no guile, nothing false. He's a good kid, right? Loved the Lord all of his life. And he said, it's finally happened. And I said, what is it? He goes, it's okay. You kept it longer than anybody that I know. I said, what are you talking about? You know, he, he wore hearing aids over each ear. I was like, you know, let me adjust those. <laughs> I'm talking to you here, man. What is this? He goes, Eric, you glowed with God when you were born again. And you hung on to that longer than anybody I've ever seen. It looks like it's finally faded. I was destroyed. And he meant that in all sincerity. And I realized something. I had gotten a great big fat pile of manna and I was excited. I was dancing in it telling everybody, look what God gave me. I cried out and He poured out. Look at this. And I was holding it like a trophy. Look what God's done for me. And I forgot, you go out each day and gather this stuff. You know what the problem with the church is? We talk all the time, I was saved when I was a kid. Forgive me, but to hell with that. You are saved today. You need to be saved tomorrow. I'm in the process of being saved. I wasn't shown mercy. I am being shown mercy today and every day. Come on, saints. What happens? We go, oh, I was a sinner. But now Jesus has saved me and I'm a saint. And that's true. But you forget that this morning you were a sinner and need to finish the day a saint too. We start to look down. Oh my God, they have an earring out of place. Well, so did Rebecca. Did you all know that? The patriarch, matriarch, Rebecca, had a gold ring in her nose. Do you think she could walk into first something or another and walk right up and marry the pastor? But she was good enough for Isaac, wasn't she? Found from the Holy Ghost. We forget. We forget that because we were born out of something into something glorious, we forget what we were. And we start to measure everybody else by ourselves. You remember Paul said to the super apostles what was wrong with them? He said, they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves and they are not wise. My God, that's talking about the whole church world. I don't wear the right kind of clothes so I don't fit in the circle. I don't talk Christianese so I don't fit in the circle. Friends, I want to know one thing. Did you wake up today and say, I want more manna? I don't know quite what it is that I need, but I need something from God. Because if you did, then the Beatitudes say, those that hunger and thirst for righteousness, they will be filled. But if you woke up and said, hey, today is much the same as yesterday. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Well, then you deserve the hell that you're headed for. You really do. Hebrews says, how shall we escape if we ignore such a great cloud of witnesses as these? People died to get us this message. It was so good. They've been in prison, beaten, sawn in two. They wandered around the earth like strangers in a foreign land. How can we sit back numb to it? You know, how is it that we fall asleep right next to the fire? We stand yesterday's pile of manna not realizing it's turned to maggots. Oh man, y'all talk like you don't know what I... I I mean, you sit there silently like, what are you talking about? Come on, I see it every day. I got a whole pew full of maggots sometimes. You know? I was saved back to him. Thank you, Lord God, I'm not a sinner like so-and-so. 65%. I want to be struck dead if I can't get 100% because that's what God's called us to. You think I'd be happy if 65% of you were experiencing God? Smack me in the face. It's better that a righteous man strike me. It's a kindness. It's an oil on my head than that I settle for 65%. God's called all men to salvation. I want you to experience the power of God. You know, the God's honest truth is the reason we look in other places is we haven't found it in church. Why do you look in other places for fun? Because church has not been fun. Why do you look in other places for spiritual power? Because there's none in your church. Let's change that. If you've been of the kind that says, oh, everybody in church is hypocrites, well, stand up and be a real one. When is your turn? When is your day? When will you stand up and be what God's called you to be? Oh, church is full of hypocrites. Well, I guess so. You're there. Change it. You be the first one that's not a hypocrite. The first one that's sincere about God. Go out and collect your manna. What is the only day that you're allowed to collect more manna? The day before you work all day for God. On the sixth day, they collected enough to carry them all the way through the Sabbath, the seventh day. You know why? 
because they were just too busy doling out and helping, serving for other people to go out and collect for themselves. There is only one time in your life that it's okay not to be right before God looking for His fresh bread. That's when you're distributing what you've already got for the benefit of others. And if you're in a real church, as I distribute what I got for Keith, not worried about myself, and he distributes what he got for me, not worried about himself, both of our needs are met. Come on, saints. This is not about being entertained. This is not about coming into a church and doing your time. This is about having your lives changed. The most fun I ever had in my whole life, I preached in a prison called Dixon Correctional. You know, prison is a unique place to find freedom. But those guys knew why they were there. Some of them had been rapists. Some of them had been murderers. Some of them had been thieves. All of them had been bad, just like you. And when they found the power of God, they were so delighted to be set free from their chains, even though they were in a box, that they were excited. They had the joy of the Lord. They faced homosexual rape every day and did it with a smile because they knew God was with them. Now man, if that doesn't touch your heart, I don't know what will. These guys found freedom in the midst of hell on earth. They found joy in a piece of heaven because they knew that they were being changed of God. I had more fun there than I've had in any church. There was no need to convince the people that they were wrong and they needed Jesus' help. They were clinging to it. They were hanging on every word. The problem with the church is we've heard too much. We've seen too much. How many of you have ever heard or seen a pastor sleep with a secretary? Or some of you are nodding your heads. That hurts, doesn't it? That's why in this church my wife's the secretary. Turn with me to Judges 14. What is it, Lord? That's what you need to eat, boy. Shut up and eat it. Nick's got something like that on his web page. I don't understand it, but I like it, Nick. A lot of things like that. It's your little anacronym at the end of your sign-in. The kingdom's like that, guys. A lot of times, I don't know what you're doing, Lord. I don't know how you're doing it. But I like it. It's good. I trust you because you're awesome. In Judges, the 14th chapter... I'm just going to read you two verses here and we're going to keep flipping pages. Tell me when you're in Judges 14. Despite that popular series, I don't want to leave anybody behind. So, uh, Judges 14. Y'all there? In Judges 14, starting in the second verse, when he returned, he said to his father and mother, I have seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. That's not what I wanted to read. Go to Judges 13. A certain man of Zorah named Manoah from the clan of the Danites had a wife who was sterile and remained childless. You ever known anybody that had to pray to have children? Yeah, I've known lots of people. They're usually people of faith. It's amazing how many people who are full of the power of God have such trouble having kids. Can you guess why that might be? If I had a chance to poison my enemy so that they couldn't birth any more powerful soldiers, I would. The devil works with all of his might to keep little powerhouses from being born. Because God chose a man like Abraham and He chose a man like Craig and a man like David and a man like Steve so that they would teach their children after them to do what was right. And this would carry on, Psalm 78 says, so that generations who had never heard of the Lord would hear from their parents and know of His power and His marvelous deeds. This chick is sterile. The angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, You are sterile and childless. Thanks. Appreciate that. You know, thanks for the news flash. But you're going to conceive and have a son. God never denies the horrible situation that you're in. Faith is not ignoring your circumstance. Faith is looking your circumstance in the eye and saying, Lord, this is horrible. I'm surrounded on every side. I need a miracle. Faith trusts God despite the circumstances. The angel shows up and says, You're <laughs> You know, she could have cried and just ran right out of the room. But she hung on because she trusted that if this guy was here, he had something good to say to her. And what was it? She would have a son. This is Samson. You know why Samson was born? That's in the 14th chapter. Look at verses 2 and 3. 3 and 4. 
His father and mother replied, Isn't there an acceptable woman among your relatives or among all our people? Must you go to the uncircumcised Philistines to get a wife? But Samson said to his father, Get her for me. (laughs) She's the right one for me. His parents did not know that this was from the Lord who was seeking an occasion to confront the Philistines. On the day that Samson was born, the angel said, this guy is going to begin the deliverance of Israel. Israel's the people of God. Somebody was born supernaturally. His mom couldn't have babies. But because of the Word of God, she had a child. And his life was supposed to begin the deliverance of Israel. Does that sound like anybody? Like maybe a virgin in Israel in the first century who wasn't supposed to be having babies yet. But she birthed somebody who was supposed to begin the deliverance of Israel. Now, in Samson's life, we just read in the 15th chapter, he's convinced, oh, I want that one, right? It's a totally normal thing for parents not to understand why their spouse loves somebody. It's a totally normal thing. He said, Mom, Dad, I want that one. They didn't know why God had allowed that. He encouraged it. You know why? Why would God let this powerful man of God want the wrong woman? Because God cares about the down and outers. Jesus suffered all that He suffered because of His love for a foreign bride. He didn't get a clean, pristine Israel ready to receive Him, having been prepared, kept all of her life for Him. He got a bunch of scraggly Cajuns and rednecks and whatever else we are. Love for a foreign bride took Him to the cross. Come on, y'all, that's good news. I don't know about you, but I married way out of my class. And it feels good. Married way out of my class, not only in my actual marriage, but in my covenant with the King of Kings. Because I am very much the bride that He deserved better than. But you know what? Feeling honored. Feeling special. I'm going to live up to all He's called me to be. Come on, girls. If a guy looks in your eyes and says you're beautiful and you don't think you're beautiful, doesn't it make you feel special? Yeah, it ought to. Well, the kings look right at you and says, you're the foreign bride that's going to get me in all kind of trouble. But I love you and you're beautiful. That's a lot to live up to. What mercy. How sad would it be to spit in that face, huh? That's what we do with our actions when we don't honor Him. Turn with me to Judges 15. Think, my God, how many Scriptures does this guy go to? Oh, just wait, it doesn't end. We put Steve close to the door to tackle you on your way out. I'm obviously teasing. In the 15th chapter, starting in uh, verse 9, this young man supernaturally born in love with a foreign bride. Why was he there? To begin the deliverance of Israel, to cause conflict with the Philistines, the enemy of God. Verse 9, The Philistines went up and camped in Judah. Judah Benjamin, do you know what your name means? Loud boy, you're a man, stand up and shout it. What's your name mean? Well, let me tell you then. Praise. Judah means praise. The people of God were camped in a place called praise. And who showed up? The Philistines. This is the PLO. This is Yasser Arafat and his idiots. They've shown up there, right? Oh, is that politically incorrect? The Philistines are there. You can point them out because of the red and white checkers hanging off their head and the fan belt wrapped around it. That really is politically incorrect, isn't it? It's funny, the enemy of God's come from the same people always, same places always. You think that's racism? It's not. It's not. I'm going to end this message with somebody who gets saved, born again, right out of that clan. But like us, they're destined to be the people of God. It takes a conver- or destined to be enemies of the people of God. It takes a special conversion to get them out. We weren't born saved, friends. Okay, the Philistines went up and camped in Judah, spreading out near Lehi. The men of Judah asked, Why have you come to fight us? Come on, isn't that the stupidest question that's ever been? Why have you come to fight us? Could you talk to Osama bin Laden, stand outside the Twin Towers and say, Hey, why are you here to fight us? Would that make any sense? These are natural enemies. What do you mean, why have you come to fight us? Why is the church of the day asking the enemy? Asking Satan right outside their city, why are you here to fight with us? Because they had a treaty, much the same as many of you do, as I have had. 
We make treaties in little areas of our life. I'll leave you alone here if you leave me alone. I'm going to look the other way, God, and I'm going to ignore you in the area of HBO. Make a treaty with the devil. Let hell's box office pour unbelievable garbage right into your mind. Make a treaty with the devil. Say, hey, what are you here fighting with me for, man? I thought we had this worked out. That's what the church is doing right here. We have come to take Samson prisoner. Of course. Why would the Philistines want Samson? Brent, why would the Philistines want Samson? Come on, they want Samson because he's the one that can do something about the situation. See, we don't have to worry about the guy on the team that can't score a basket if he's in the open court. We have to worry about the Michael Jordan. We have to worry about the defensive end that crushes our whole line and tackles the quarterback every time. We don't have to worry about the guy sitting on the bench. The enemy is about attacking those who are powerful in the kingdom. If you're meeting no resistance, friends, rather than count yourself blessed, find out why. You should be double teamed on every side because you're doing damage to the enemy. The enemy is there looking for Samson because he wants to tie him up because it's Israel's only hope. We've come to take Samson prisoner, they answered, to do to him as he did to us. Then 3,000 men from Judah went down to the cave in the rock of Etm and said to Samson, Don't you realize that the Philistines are rulers over us? What have you done to us? Come on now. What I'm telling you right now is the Philistines don't have to rule. Not any area of your life. Not your sex drive. Not your finances. Not your spiritual life. Not any part of your life. Not depression. Not anything. The Philistines do not have to rule over you. But let's ask something, friends. Why is Samson hanging out in a cave at ETM and not in Judah? Maybe he wasn't welcome because that's the message he preached all of the time and it makes you uncomfortable. You know what we really want out of a church service? What we really want is feel good about yourself. That's why the billboards build such big churches. I love them. I'm glad that they do what they do. I'm not picking on anybody. But what I'm telling you is that the real power of God makes you uncomfortable because it requires you to change. It requires you to embrace Him. It requires you to take more of Him every day and not stand on that, but go get some more the next day. We have come to take Samson prisoner, they answered. Then 3,000 men go down they say, what have you done to us? He was trying to set them free. That's what he was doing. He answered, I merely did to them what they did to me. Jesus is about destroying the devil's work. John, 1 John 3.8 says that. You know why? The devil's work has been destroying mankind. You let it go in your life and it will destroy you. There is no question. Though it looked fun today, it will end in disaster. So Jesus is about destroying the devil's work. So that's so intolerant. There are some things you're supposed to be intolerant of. I can love everybody, but I can hate the effects of sin in your life, in my life. When I look into this Word, it's a mirror. I see myself before I see anybody else. So if you think I'm preaching down to you, to preach down to you, I have to go right through me. I have every problem I'm talking to you about today. I'm hoping to stir myself and my own righteous soul on to better living because He'll give me all I need. All of it. I don't have to settle for scraps. They said to Him, we've come to tie you up and hand you over to the Philistines. Oh, dear God, I wish this were not true. Who ties up the powerful people of God? Who hands them over to the enemy? How many times in your life has Satan manifested to you physically, tied you up and made you do anything? You'd be a special person if that was the case. It doesn't happen. Uh-oh, walk right out of my shoes. That doesn't happen. What happens? Our bad teaching. Our morally lax life reinforced by six-foot icicles standing behind pulpits telling you you're okay every week. They do this. We tie ourselves up with doctrinal statements that make us feel good about ourselves rather than require us to be live, living in the presence of God. The I'm okay, you're okay gospel. It's all right. In 1993, you walked an aisle, you got wet, you're good to go, my friend. That's nowhere in the Bible, guys. Nowhere in the Bible. And it will tie you up and hand you right over to the enemy. You'll become like Jude says, a cloud that produces no rain, 
fields that produce no crops. Somebody who's changed God's grace into a license for immorality. It is not okay to spit in God's face while He's trying to give you manna. It's not okay. They came to tie up their champion, the Deliverer. They said to Him, We've come to tie you up and hand you over to the Philistines. Samson said, Swear to me that you will not kill me yourselves. Now friend, Samson didn't have to let them tie him. Jesus did not have to go to that cross. He did it willingly, knowing what would happen to him there. Paul did not have to die for the Gospel. He did it willingly, knowing what would befall him at the hands of the Jews and at Caesar. He did it for you. Agreed, they answered. We will only tie you up and hand you over to them. Gee, thanks. Yeah. Somebody says, Patricia, we love you. We think you're a wonderful person. We're going to pray for you. We know you don't have food to eat. We know you don't have a place to sleep. Go on. Be warm, well fed. It's all right. That's tying somebody up, handing them over to the enemy. There were 3,000 men that came to approach Samson. I want you to remember that. So Samson plus them would have been 3,001 men. Agreed, they answered. We will only tie you up and hand you over to them. We will not kill you. So they bound him with two new ropes and they led him up from the rock. Saints, you get used to walking with God. It becomes habitual. You learn after a while to put down things that were hard for you to put down earlier. At first, it's the hardest thing in the world to tame your tongue regarding sailors' language, right? At first, that's the only vocabulary you know. And in the 1800s, there was a revival in England. And this was during the time that coal mining was very popular. They shut down this entire industry with one revival. You know why? They used mules, and mules took verbal cues from their masters, and all of them were foul. And when these men got born again, they didn't want to say those words anymore. They had to retrain all the mules. It took months because they only knew dirty words. Sometimes it takes time to retrain our lives to be something that's pleasing to God. Why did they bind Samson with new ropes? If you're going to tie up Keith, this mighty specimen here, right? You want to tie him up with the newest, strongest, least frayed ropes you can, right? Because you don't want him to jump on you and hurt you. The devil is always looking for some new way to tie you up. If you get victory in one area, he simply sends another area. You are born for warfare. Don't be surprised at this. You're supposed to fight. But how do you fight? That is the question. Paul said the weapons we fight with are not like the world. We fight with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left. They bound him with two new ropes and led him up from the rock. As he approached Lehi, the Philistines came towards him shouting, The Spirit of the Lord came on him in power. The ropes on his arms became like charred flax and the bindings dropped from his hands. Whatever the devil tries to try Adam up with, whatever it is, whether it's a new guy in his workplace, whether it's a new thing that is trying to wrap him up, if he will cry out to the Lord, the Spirit of God will come on him in power. And whatever the devil has bound him with, be it chains, ropes, whatever it is, the anointing in him like Samson, like Jesus, will drop them off like charred flax. You know why? They came out of hell and he can make them charred just like they were there. Reading this book, Pilgrim's Progress, and Faithful is on his road to the celestial city, and he is so upset because a demon has whispered in his ear blasphemies about God, and he was tricked for a moment believing that they came from his own mind. Come on, you've never been there? Never had crazy, stray thoughts and didn't know why? The anointing will break them, they will fall off like charred flax. Finding a fresh jawbone of a donkey, he grabbed it and struck down a thousand men. How many men came against Samson? A thousand. How many handed him over to the enemy? Three thousand. So with Samson, who beat a thousand by himself, the Israelites, had they joined him, would have outnumbered them three to one. Why is the church hiding in a hole rather than advancing itself? Why does the church care about its gymnasium and its donuts instead of the power of God? Why have we become business centers? counting tithe rather than the changes in people's lives. Saints, this ought not be so. You can't allow it to be so. 
You need your manna. You need it today and you need it every day. Who was responsible for gathering the manna? The people were. Why do you come here waiting to be handed manna? That should be dessert, friends. Every day you should be waking up thinking, I need you more today, Lord. Fill me more today. I don't want to fail like I did yesterday. I'm called to greatness. You've given me all of your power. Samson found a fresh jawbone. It was there that day for him. If it's fresh, that means it wasn't there last week. He didn't need it last week. He needed it then, there, now. Don't stand on a salvation experience that's ten years old. Stand on something that happened to you today. You can touch God each day. The reason Jesus rent that curtain in the temple, tore it from top to bottom, was so that you, you in the back corner, you in that back corner, could get into the presence of God on a daily basis, not once a year at the Day of Atonement. He wants you to have access to Him each day, a fresh jawbone. Then Samson said, With a donkey's jawbone I have made donkeys of them. (laughs) With a donkey's jawbone I have killed a thousand men. When he finished speaking, he threw the jawbone away. Now think about this. Brent has just killed 1,000 men in a physical contest, right? They thought they were playing football and they really came to Brent's halo house of slaughter. I heard you were good at that, right? And he has just laid waste to 1,000 men. And he did it with this right here, this little remote control. He beat guys like Adam to a bloody pulp with this little bitty control. Now what's he going to do with it? I know what he's going to do with it. He's going to put it on his place, right? With that right there, I overcome a thousand men. Let everybody know I am nobody to be messed with. You attack me from the front, what we used to say, you can walk over, but you're going to limp back. (laughs) Right? Because I did it right here with this. You know why Samson threw it away? It wouldn't be good tomorrow. It would be maggots. I don't care what God did for you yesterday. I don't care what God did for you five years ago, ten years ago, when I was serving God, I blah, blah, blah. Who cares? What have you done for God today? How have you been touched by Him today? Don't tell me about your childhood experience. They're yesterday. Paul said, I forget what is behind. I press on to what is ahead. The Apostle Paul had been beaten, been shipwrecked, all these things. But what did he talk about? Where he was going next. They said, Jesus, don't go to that city, man. They'll kill you there. Jesus, don't go. He said, you tell that fox, I will press on today, tomorrow, and the next day. He didn't spend any time talking about all the times he had already stepped on his head. That was yesterday. Yeah, you were a hero ten years ago. That's great. I'm glad for you. Where are you today, hero? That message is for me. That message is for you. We need today's fresh bread. It's not enough that when you were a little girl, you were baptized and saved. Now, you women as well. It's not... (laughs) Sorry. I like to tease boys like that sometimes. Watch what happens next. Because he was very thirsty, he cried out to the Lord, You have given your servant this great victory. Must I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? Then God opened up the hollow place in Lehi. When the water came out of it, then the water came out of it. When Samson drank, his strength returned and he revived. So the spring was called En-Hakor, and it still stands there today. You know what En-Hakor is? It is a fountain to him who cries. God can be a fountain to you who cry out for Him. You want more of Him? You want His power in His life? Tell Him! Get off your salvation. Get out of the pew. Ask God to do something. Put your faith in action. Step out. Trust Him somewhere. What the church is half the time is standing on the high dive, scared to jump off, saying, Lord, I want to be wet in the worst way. I want to be refreshed in the worst way. I want to be in the pool in the worst way. Do it for me, Lord. Come on, saints. Take a jump. Trust God. If you've never prophesied, pray that you prophesy. The Word says you can do it. How long will you sit in disbelief? If you've never spoken in other tongues, pray that you do. You can. The Bible says it. If you've never sincerely felt the power of God. Pray that you do. It's for you. Let Him be a fountain to Him who cried. The reason most of us are never filled is we've never been emptied. There's so much us in us. There's so many of our carnal desires that God finds no room to begin to work in your life. 
Lord, I want You. I just don't want to let go of these ten areas. doesn't work that way. And you will exclude yourself from the kingdom of God. That may seem like a light thing while you're a teenager, your early 20s. I've watched people die, friends. It's on their mind. I promise it is. There's a day coming for all of us. In Hakor, a fountain for him who cried. Turn with me to Leviticus 24. Come on now, turn with me to Leviticus 24. Let me hear some pages turn. Don't force me to pull out my, y'all not with me! There's a preacher we used to like to listen to because he was entertaining. He'd call out the deacons whose wives weren't in church. Deacon Jones, where is your wife? You should have your wife in the house of God. (laughs) I always thought that was funny. But the best was, Deacon Jones, how could you lie to God? You bounced a check to the church. (laughs) That was on the radio. I like to crash. I was laughing so hard. We won't call out anybody in here. I too have bounced a check. (laughs) Can you imagine? So don't make me go there. Turn to Leviticus 24. Yeah, there you go, brother. We're there. Leviticus 24. The Lord said to Moshe, that's the Hebrew way to say Moses, command the Israelites to bring you clear oil of pressed olives for the light so that the lamps may be kept burning continually. How often do the lamps burn? Continually. What's that song you teach your little kids? Put some oil in my lamp, keep me burning. Right? Yeah, I know I didn't sing it well. I'm sorry, that's what Matthew's for. It's his place in the body. The oil is supposed to be in the lamp continually. Well, how does that happen, friends? Does it just miraculously appear? Somebody has to pour it in there. This is why the Bible says, be being filled with the Spirit. I'm glad that you got touched by the Holy Ghost 30 years ago. Fantastic for you. But that would have been good if it was only 30 years ago. But it's not. Get what you need today. Be renewed today. Take advantage of God's power today. Outside the curtain of the testimony in the tent of meeting, Aaron is to tend the lamps before the Lord from evening till morning continually. Saints, your relationship with God, your walk in the Spirit requires continual tending. It's not a merit badge that you achieve and then you move on. It takes work every day. You know the words were written to Christians? Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Oh, take out your black highlighter. Mark that one right out. We just don't like it. It doesn't fit with our doctrinal statement. Come on, saints. Fear and trembling. This means that you're honestly assessing your life. You're saying, Lord, I need You more in my life. Help me continually. This is to be a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. The lamps on the pure gold lampstand before the Lord must be tended continually. Take fine flour... Bake twelve loaves of bread using two-tenths of an ephah for each loaf. Set them in two rows, six on each row. I'm not going to make a big deal out of these numbers because I just don't feel like that's the best use of our time. But two in the Bible is the number of what? Covenant. Six in the Bible is the number of sin and man. This bread is expressing some special covenant between God and man. On the table of pure gold before the Lord... There is a table that represents God's divinity standing in His presence in the temple. On it is bread that represents something about His covenant with man. Along each row, put some pure incense as a memorial portion to represent the bread and to be an offering made to the Lord by fire. This bread is to be set out before the Lord regularly, Sabbath after Sabbath, on behalf of the Israelites as a lasting ordinance. It belongs to Aaron and his sons who are to eat it in the holy place because it is a most holy part on their regular share of the offerings made to the Lord by fire. You know what the King James word for this bread is? Showbread. It was put out in the presence of the Lord to show something. The way that it was arranged, what it was made of, the table that it's sitting on was intended to be a visual display for you. Showbread is an inaccurate translation. The actual translation is bread of the faces. Faces is plural, but it's always treated as singular in Hebrew. So they would read it bread of the face. This is bread that you get from staring into the face of God. The Hebrew words for it are lechem, panim, 
ponium. Lachem ponium. The bread of His face. See, friends, when you get close enough to God, when you begin to try to stare into His face, who He is, what His character is, it always leaves you feeling full. It always meets all of your need. This is the bread for the priest. It's the bread for the children of God who cried out for the lachem ponium. They wanted what comes from staring in the face of God. They knew that they needed it on a regular basis. The Jews knew this so much that in their Mishnah, they wrote down that when Lindsay and I go in the temple to change out this bread that has to be changed out every so often as a regular part of service, as I picked some up, she put some down. As I picked up the rest, she put more down. Because God's table would never be without provision for His people. He would always have a fresh word for you. He would always have a fresh song for you. He would always have a fresh revelation for you. He would always have something. He would never be empty-handed for His people. If that's true, then why do we walk around empty-handed so much? I don't want to. In Matthew 15, we find our last Scripture for the day. I hope that it's something that you'll consider that you'll think about. Because in Matthew 15, we see one of the most unusual stories in the Bible, but you can learn the most from it. Manna that rotted after a day because you needed to get more each day. Jawbones that were disposable because it was for that day's task and it wouldn't be good for tomorrow. Showbread and oil that had to be tended to and changed out daily to teach you how to walk with God. Now, in Matthew 15, starting in 21, leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Tyre, Sidon. Tyre, Sidon. Have you heard those words anywhere recently? Watch CNN? Watch Fox News? See a Lebanese minister crying on TV? The Israelis keep dropping bombs on my city. Yeah, well, quit shooting rockets at them. Tyre and Sidon. These are Lebanese cities. They were in Syria. Enemies of God. Dedicated to destroying God's people, just like today. Dedicated to the destruction of Israel. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out. I want you to get this. If this was today, we would say, you know, the mother of a future terrorist came crying out. Oh, I know that's not nice, is it? It's what the Bible teaches. It's what Psalm 83 says. Come let us plot and destroy them as a nation. These same regions. This woman is from the most cursed people group on earth because they are enemies of God. A Canaanite from that vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. Jesus did not answer her a word. Boy, doesn't that sound cruel. Why do you think He didn't answer her a word? She's from a cursed people group. She hasn't done anything right, not her whole life. You talk about a scarlet letter wrapped around her neck. That's exactly what she is. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying out. And that's just what the church does when it sees somebody whose life is full of sin. Get them out of here, man. People will think badly of us if they see her in here. She's a whore. Get her out of here, man. Everybody will think badly of us if they know she goes to our church or he goes to our church. That dude's a crooked businessman. Throw out everybody that's not pristine. Uh Uh-oh. We don't have anybody left. Well, go get a few that we all share the same weaknesses. Gossip. Send her away. She keeps crying out. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. Oh, that's not in everybody's theology, is it? Who was Jesus sent to? Israel. The lost sheep of Israel. We'll teach on this another time, but there is only one way for you to receive the King of Israel. That's to have Him adopt you as if you were an Israelite. Tell me America shouldn't love Israel. But that's not our message. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before Him. Lord, help me, she said. Did He require her to show some trust here? I mean, He's insulted her. And He's not through yet. 
It is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. There is bread, provision in the presence of God. He's able to rain it down from heaven to provide it in the jawbone if He needs to, to give you oil in your lamps to keep you going. It belongs to you. It is the children's bread. And He's not going to throw it to just anybody who is not His child. That's bad news for people that aren't His children, isn't it? But the mercy of God, watch this. Yes, Lord, she said, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the Master's table. Then Jesus answered, Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. The bread from God, the provision is for you, church. But while you stand by and do not eat it, there are people out there that have lived their whole lives under a curse that are crying out for just a little bite of freedom. Just a little bit of what you bask in on a regular basis. This woman had every reason to turn away. Jesus stiff-armed her three times. But the mercy of God prevailed and He gave her exactly what she needed. It wasn't for her. It's for you. Actually, you are like her. We're not Israel. But we say that we are. We've been grafted into their blessings along with them, not replacing them. Here's the message. Whether you're under a curse outside the kingdom begging for a crumb, He will have mercy on you and give you what you need. Or whether you're inside sitting at His table but ignoring the bread of His presence. The only way to get it is to examine His face. To get on your knees before Him. To cry out like Samson, I don't want to die of thirst. I need to be filled. In John 7.37, Jesus cried out to all of Israel on the last day of a feast, If any man thirst, let him come and drink of Me. And they stood by and missed their moment. What would you do today? You'll go be filled with something else? You'll settle for crumbs? You'll consider yourself cursed and just walk out? Or call yourself a child all the way yet not eat the bread? This is your day. This is your time. This is your opportunity to get everything that you need from God. 